אתכם ואתם תחרישון. I'll do all the work for you and you won't have to worry about anything. We see when the Jews came out of Egypt, right away, a week and a half later, a war with Amalek. Moshe Rabbeinu picks up his hands, the Jews are winning. Their, heads are, their hands are down, they're losing. All kinds of miracles like this. If it wasn't, if it wasn't true, then the Jews will come to Moshe that gave them the book. What is this nonsense? When, when exactly we saw you picking up your hands and we're winning? And when you got tired, we were losing. Where did you make up all these stories from? We never saw it. You're telling us to observe the Sabbath? We're not interested. This book is full of baloney. We're not interested. Proof scientifically that every word in this book is the word of God? Can I be a fool, rebel against my creator? That's what we're doing. Now I want to tell you something. The biggest danger to a person, especially to a Jew, but to every person, is ignorance. I once told you in one of the lectures here that when I got my first computer and I didn't know how to send an email, I was spending hours sending emails to the people I want them to read what I have to say. Because I didn't know I have a function that by pressing two or three buttons I can send hundreds of emails in a minute. So rather, I was typing the email again and again and again, sending it. I only had a computer for a few days. I didn't know. I'm talking years ago. Until my friend walked in and said, what exactly are you doing? So I'm sending emails to people. So this is not how you send emails. You do one, two, three, you, you type your entire list, receive it in a minute. So now, I learned from that a lot. Say, when a person is ignorant in something that he's about to do, this is the biggest danger for him. All the Jews today in the world, with no exception, are not religious or are anti-religion because they never read the Torah, not even once in their life. 14 years, I saw thousands of thousands of people. I cannot count how many. I cannot count how many people was in my house for Shabbos. I cannot count how many arguments over the, the, the computer or the phones and so many things and articles and all kinds. On the radio show I used to give, an Israeli radio show. Not once, yet until this moment, and I promise you it's not an exaggeration, not once I saw a non-religious Jew that at least read the Torah carefully once in his life. How do you come and make statements? How can you contradict a book before you dedicated a day or two of your life to read it carefully? Maybe by then you realize that all your life is one big mistake. Is it possible? Maybe you're wrong? I'll tell you something better. I know you're anxious to ask another question, but now it's my, sh my, now it's my show. Give me two minutes, I'll give you two minutes after. But, but one second. Many years ago, a smart person told me something very clever. That's 14 years ago. I was in Jerusalem right after I got married. And I went to a person in Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, and he told me, so what do you do over in America? I said, you know, I'm working for a bank. I used to be in banking industry, working for a bank from Milwaukee, represent them here in New York, until I decided to give it up and do the right thing. Start doing something for the Jewish nation, but that's before. So he told me, oh, so you're very happy there in America. Ah, making money. All right, very nice. So he, wanted, he asked me a question. Do you believe in the Ten Commandments? First time somebody ever asked me this question. So I thought for a second. I say yes. I wanted to see what he has to say. So he told me, you know, according to the Ten Commandments, this, this guy, by the way, is my cousin. He's very, very strict. If I will speak to you the way he spoke to me, you will throw tomatoes at me. So I'm not telling you what he told me. I'm just telling you what he told me. Don't go tonight and say, oh, this rabbi is crazy. I'm just describing you how it turned my life in one hour, 180 degrees to the other side. Common sense. So he told me, according to the Ten Commandments, you are worse than Yasser Arafat. I said, what? Me? What's the connection? He said, you say that you believe that it's the word of God, right? The Ten Commandments start from the most important one to the least important. First one, I'm your God that took you out of Egypt. Second one, you should not have, have any other God. Third one, what's the third one? Do not swear on the name of God. He's not your friend, he's your master. What's the fourth one? Observe the Sabbath. It's an internal covenant between me, the creator of the world, to my children, the nation of Israel, for eternity. To know I created the world in six days and in the seventh day I strike completely. 
What's the sixth commandment? You should not kill. What comes first? Observe Shabbat. So you see, in the eyes of God, it's more important than you should not kill. You got used to you should not kill because everywhere in the world people speak about it. Nowhere in the world people speak about you should keep the day of, of Shabbat because it's the day of God. It's a spiritual special day to God. It's a holy day to God. I'm giving you an opportunity to be like me that I should reward you for eternity. This is clear words in the Torah. All you have to do now to prove is God really said it or not. If yes, how can you ignore it? If not, put it in the toilet, no problem. If yes, so now this is what he told me. Let's assume we went to the, to the, to the, to the, to the uh, desert. We walk now for three days in the desert and we did not drink. We did not drink, we are very dizzy. We get to a house somewhere, we knock on the door, we see somebody opens the door. We know we have one more day to walk to, get, to reach safe water. But by then we'll be extremely dizzy. But we won't die. I, pay attention. We will not die. We will make it. But it's another 24 hours of walk. This guy offering us water free of charge. But there's only one problem. In one of the cups, he has 100 cups on the table. One of them has poison in it. But he lost control. He doesn't know which one. If you take the one cup, you die right away. What is the chance? He's asking me all this. What is the chance you're going to die right now? You're very thirsty. One to a hundred. One percent chance to die. Less. Less than one because maybe he's lying. It could be half a percent. Put it aside. One percent chance to die. He asked me, be honest. Would you pick up a cup and drink? Or you would suffer an extra 24 hours to reach safe water? Told him I will suffer another 24 hours. I want to leave. I don't want to take a risk. So he told me, look what a hypocrite you are. With 1% chance to die, you're not willing to take a risk. Don't you agree with me that this book has more than 1% chance that it was given by the creator of the world? After all, it's the best seller in every generation in history. All three major religions worship this book. This is the book that influenced society and humanity more than any other book. It's all the constitution, more or less, is based on this book. Do you agree with me there's more than 1% chance it's the book of God? I say, sure I do. So now he told me one last thing and he closed the case. He told me, now let's analyze one more thing. I changed my life a few years ago. I used to be like you and now I'm like this. If you're right, then me and you one day will be 80 years old and will die. And that's over. We become sand, no problem. You like your life? I love my life. I learn Torah, Gemara, I have wonderful wife, wonderful marriage, no cheating, children, I come home, they kiss my hand, they respect me. I have such great life here. I'm not, I'm not rich. I live in a very small apartment, but I'm very, very happy inside. I will never return to my old way, he tells me. So we both die equally. You happy from your lifestyle, as you claim, and I'm very happy from my lifestyle, so we even. But if I'm right, and this is really the word of God, and you are wrong, when I die, the Torah promised me life of eternity, that all the pleasures of this world for 70 years will not be equal to one hour in the world to come. For the pleasure, spiritual pleasure for the soul. As the Torah say, I'm testing you, God, I'm testing you to check what's in your heart. Are you going to keep my laws or not? In another place. I'm torturing you, I'm giving you hard time, pass my laws, pass my test, that I should reward you in your end. Where is that end? Not here. We never saw the righteous Jews getting anything here. Where is it? Afterlife. So now he told me like this. If I'm right, I will never stop to enjoy from 20, 30 years that I lived according to the law of this book. And you are finished. That's what he told me. What are you going to do? You, every second of your life is a mistake. You have no direction. You don't know the purpose of life. What do you think? You came here to eat and to sleep and to run after a basketball and just to make money all day and be happy and buy clothes? 
If God wanted you to enjoy this life, he will make you a chimpanzee. Mm-hmm. Everything he wants, he has for free. Five females, he doesn't have to buy her drinks, he doesn't have to put the show, take her to this club, come with his car, borrow his car from his friend, he doesn't have all this nonsense. No life insurance, no health insurance, no third years to pay the mortgage, subprime crisis, traffic five hours to get to the office, he doesn't have all this. He doesn't have to sweat so much to raise children. They're born, they begin to play basketball. Right away, look in the Bronx Zoo. If the purpose of life is to enjoy the sun. Rabbi, you know where we went to, to past Passover? I was in Acapulco on the beach all week. If God wanted you to live like this, it would make you the, the lion in the Bronx Zoo. 35 years he's laying in the sun. No, he doesn't have to worry. They bring him food. People come, take pictures of him. He's the stars, number one in Hollywood. What's the purpose of life? You don't know, he said. Every second of your life is a mistake. He shocked me. He said, don't believe me. I'm not expecting you in an hour or two to, claim, to believe that everything I told you is the truth. But based on the doubt that you yourself admit that there is more than 1% chance that this is the book of the creator of the world, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your future. You owe it to the future of your children and descendants. That if you live in a lie, maybe you are losing so much every second of your life. Go and investigate. Buy books. Go to lectures. Go to seminars. Challenge the people. If you are not convinced, you find one mistake in the Torah, put it in the garbage. But if you do not find any contradiction, how are you going to take such a risk? And you know what else he said? Check in the history. All the greatest philosophers in history, Maimonides, Ramchal, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the greatest names in history that some of them, even the non-Jews admire. In Washington, they put a statue of Maimonides, the Rambam. They were putting the feeling every day. They were learning Torah every day. They were learning Torah every day. They were walking with the Yamaka. Some of them had beards. Mm-hmm. You are better than them? Did you hear about the Vilna Gaon? 250 years ago, the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon, one time, one professor in Italy heard that the Jews in Vilna are non-stop praising the rabbi, the genius, the genius, the genius. Everybody speak about it. They don't even call him his name, Rabbi Eliyahu. They call him the genius from Vilna, a Gaon mi Vilna. 250 years ago. So this non-religious Jew... In Italy, he was a professor in university. He was very curious to see who is this genius, because he himself was a very smart intellectual person. He decided to go to Vilna to meet him. When he got to Vilna, he got to the place where the rabbi was learning, and he told him, the rabbi doesn't have time to meet visitors, you know, he's very busy with his learning, you cannot get accepted. So now this professor said, I came all the way here, I'm not going to see the rabbi, I got to come up with a good excuse. So he comes the next day, he told the guy over there, listen, I was sent from Italy to here because the Jews in Italy have a serious problem. The king over there, he said that if the Jews will answer these 70 philosophical questions, he will send all the Jews out of Italy. They will kick them out of the land. So they sent me over here to the rabbi because he's the only one who can answer those 70 questions. He went inside, this professor wrote it in his book, that's how we know the story. He went inside, the rabbi was learning Mara. He told him, Rabbi, I have 70 questions to ask you and it's urgent, it's life risk for the entire community in Italy, in Padova. So the rabbi said, read. So he thought maybe the rabbi wants to hear a summary of some of these questions and then they go one by one. So he was reading the first, second, third question. Then the rabbi goes like this, continue, continue while he's learning. Continue, read, read. The guy said, what, he's making me a fool here? I'm reading and reading and reading. An hour, he's reading the questions. Once he finished the questions, the rabbi said, okay, you're done, right? You ready? The answer to question number 1, 9, 12, 18, 25, 23, it's the Torah, Genesis, chapter 20, verse from here to here. This question you ask because you don't understand, check here, check Luzato, check this, check that. In less than five minutes, he answered him on 70 questions, all by heart. 
the students of the Vilna Gaon testified that he wrote the entire Torah in reverse. How many letters we have in the Torah? 304,805 letters in reverse. Without one mistake. Vilna Gaon. And he, kept, he put Filin. He told me, you better than him? What do you think? You discover America? What, you Columbus? Go and check. I encourage everyone here, don't believe me. You don't have to believe. I have thousands of proofs. In two hours, what can you show? Two, five, six proofs. I have thousands of proofs. Thousands. Thousands. I was arguing with professor. One time I had an argument with Professor Levine. All his life he's teaching in university of the theory of evolution of Darwin. We argue. Four hours arguments. Then in the end, I was in front of people. He got on the stage and he said, I think that I have to rethink my entire career. If I have done the right thing or wrong thing, because I have now doubts. No, you know where this uh, Professor Levine? Today, he lives in Cedarhurst. He is religious. His daughter married an Israeli guy and a jet pilot. He's all, they're, both really, they're all religious from this argument. Why? After that, he started to double-check. When people argue with me about the age of the world, I say, according to the Torah, the world is 5,768 years old. Everybody laughs. <laughs> You're crazy. The scientists say that the world is billions of years old. So I, I, I tell them there are two ways to prove. One is to go to arguments about carbon-14, extrapolations, and all the rest. And... Second is to give you one-minute speech. Which way you choose? Four hours argument or one-minute speech? Everybody wants in a short way. So I say, I want to ask you a question. If you, Professor Levine, let's say you are 60 years old. Now we have more than 100 people in this room. We're going to ask each one of, the, of us to tell your age. So he's going to say he's 50. He's going to say 51, 52, 53, 20, 19, 18. Everybody came up with a different age. Now tell me, please, is it possible that we all write? More than a hundred different opinions in this room. How old are you, Mr. Professor Levine? All of us are right? So of course not. In the best scenario, one of us is right. In the best scenario, maybe. Not even that. It could be that we're all wrong. So I agree, 100%. So I said, tell me please, you know better than me. How come all the scientists, all the professors that came from more or less the same university and using the same books and the same professors, each one of them when it came to calculate the age of the world came with a complete different number than the other. Is it possible that they're all right? Or in the best scenario, one of them is right. One scientist said the world is 300 million years old. The other one says 300 trillion years old. You know the difference? And one scientist, and I have a movie here, that you can, I can show it to you, American scientist from Texas, only a few thousand years old. American non-Jewish scientists, experts, the, the best names in the world today. I show you a movie, in English. Only thousands of years old, they say. And they're not religious. So now, why would I waste so much time when I hear that this professor and this scientist and the other one, each one of them has a different age to the world, knowing that 99.999% of them are speaking nonsense. Either because they do not know, or they just lie to get more budgets from the United States uh, country. You know why? Because you know how it is. You know how it works, no? If the scientists want money, the university has to show that they do all kinds of things. They're going to say, we don't have what to do with the money. They're not going to get money. This is the way the world is. We don't need that. Why should we need that? We have the Torah. The Torah told us the exact age of the world. Six days, the creation from the life of Adam until today, 5,768 years old. Can anybody contradict that? You know, there are two kinds of science. There is speculative science and objective science. Most of the things you hear in the headlines and in the university are based on speculations. They did not prove not even once yet the age of the world. They come in and say dinosaurs. They're right. They used to be dinosaurs. It's no contradiction. The Torah said they used to be huge animals. When did they die? In the flood. 4,200 years ago. They could not enter the ark. 
God destroyed the entire world. Only eight people and the animals survived. That's it. In the Ark of Noah. Did they find the Ark of Noah? The answer is yes. I show you a picture of it. In Turkey, in the mountain of Ararat. How a, a huge boat like this were found on a very high mountain in Turkey when there is no lakes there, no rivers. Who picked it up to the mountain? 500 people carried the, the boat all the way up to the mountain and put it there for, to be a souvenir? Obviously it got there because the whole world was covered with water. In Manhattan, in a museum, they have the oldest tree in the world. I remember more than 15 years ago, I went there and, and I saw there's a big tree. The tree, every year, have another ring, another circle. 4,200 rings, the oldest tree that were found. No tree was found more than that. Everything the archaeologists find today, where did they dig? How did they know where to dig? How did they find the altar of Joshua Ben-Nun in the mountain of Eval? How did they know? They read in the book of Joshua that that's where they made the altar and they found it. How did they know the city of King David? How do you know where to look? You go to the Torah and you know where to check. Without the Torah, there were no, no archaeology. I'll give you another example. The only objective book in the history of religions is Judaism. If you check in the Quran, you'll never find one derogatory comment against Muhammad. Never, ever, even a hint against him. He was more perfect than God himself, according to their book. J.C., not one bad comment about him. Perfect. You read about our leaders, Abraham got punished. Jacob, God complained against him. King David made a sin. King Solomon made a sin. So, Yosef, all these things. The brother, the, so many derogatory comments and almost, I would say, gossip about the leaders of Israel. Why? Because it's the book of God. If people wrote it, they put everything bad under the carpet. Nobody wants to write bad things about his hero. But since it's a divine book, we got the good with the bad. Why? It's objective. God is not a liar. The Torah says, I'm the God of the justice that will not receive bribe from any person. Now you may ask me, we don't see justice in the world. Where is the justice? Righteous people don't have money, some of them, no health, some of them no children. Look, some people tell me, look at me, look at you, look what I have, look what you have, you have nothing, look at me what I have, and I don't observe Sabbath. And I cheat my customers, you know, speaking to people. So how do you explain that? How do you explain the Holocaust? How do you explain this? And there's hundreds of questions. The answer is, if... God gave us the Torah, and the Torah says, I'm giving you the life and the good, the bad and the death, and you should choose, choose the good. That means you can choose the bad. Everything in the Torah is good and bad. It's your choice what to do. In the end, I either reward you, or God forbid, punish you. So now, why the punishment does not come immediately to eliminate any doubts? God, you say that someone does not observe the Sabbath, God forbid, should be executed. Execute right away. One, two, three. Everybody would know to be a Shomer Shabbos. Why? They drive 80 years to play golf and Shabbos and nothing ever happened. Where is the justice? And the other rabbi that is Shomer Shabbos is dying from cancer. What do you expect the people? The people are confused. The answer is... If every person that would make a sin will be punished immediately, in the first day of the creation, the world will be over. We would lose the purpose of the creation immediately. No point of creating us. Why? God declared in the Torah the whole purpose of creation is what? Test. Where is the test? If a person lights a cigarette on Shabbat, boom, explosion. The next one, light a cigarette, explosion. Yasser Arafat would put filling on Shabbat and come with me to the shul. Why? <laughs> Rabbi, look at these two people. They just like, I don't want to touch cigarettes today. But you go, you allow. No, 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 no. Now, donations. Donations. You put $1,000 in a box. Right away, you got 2000 
You put 4,000, you got 8,000. What a great way to make money. <laughs> 100% by a minute. Everybody will run to the rabbi. Rabbi, take my money. No, take mine. Take mine. Of course. He doesn't want to give money to Hashem. He wants to make more money. It will not be a free choice. Free choice means the Torah say when the poor person comes and opens his hand, give you. Give him. And everything you do after, I'll bless you. Have patience. But you say, wait, I'm giving him a thousand dollars. I'm losing it. I can take it and buy myself a nice suit, or two or five, whatever. Why am I giving it to him? I don't even know him. Oh, but the book of God says, thanks to that, I will reward you forever. Big test. You come, you come out, after you give the money to the poor person, your car is being towed in Manhattan. Hey, excuse me. <laughs> Where is the justice? What do you expect? That you give him a thousand, you come to your car and two thousand dollars will be ready in an envelope in your windshield? What do you expect? That's no point for this life. The Torah says, I tortured you to test in your heart, are you going to remain faithful or not? What's the word Jew mean? Who knows what, what does it mean? People ask you, what are you? I'm a Jew. How do you say a Jew in Hebrew? Yehudi. This word comes from what word? Yehuda. Yehuda was one of the brothers of the tribes. Why we not called Shimonim? Shimon was also one of the, 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 the brothers. Why we not call Yosefim? Yosef was more righteous than them. Why we don't call Leviim, all of us? Why God, Zvulun, all of them? Why? Why Yehuda? There are two things about this person called Yehuda that symbolize the foundation of Judaism. That's why God called us Yehudim. Where is the first time in history that the word Yehudi was mentioned in Jewish history? In Iran. Who is the first person in history that was called a Jew? A Persian Jew. Mordechai. Mordechai. Mordechai a Yehudi. Before that you never heard this word Jew. We were the Hebrews. God called us Yehudim. First time Megillat Esther. Now, why Yehudim? In Hebrew, you have one word that actually has two meanings. The word modeh means thank you, I thank you, and I admit that you correct. Two things, modeh, ani modeh lecha, I'm thanking you. Ani modeh lecha, I'm admitting that you're right. Two words, two different words. One, one word, two different meanings. What Judaism is all about? Two things. Always admit and seek for the truth. Always, even in your heart, not only in your words. Even in the heart, you're always going to be correct and honest. And second, you always be grateful. You come to the Varazano Bridge, you give them $10. They give you $1 change. They're robbing you. You're losing your money. What are you saying thank you for? What do you say the guy over there in the booth? Thank you. He just stole from you $9. It's not him. I mean, whoever made the law, whatever. They took a, you want to you wanna just walk? You have to pay. Fine, you pay. No problem. He said, thank you. You just ate. God gave you food. You just have a house. You just started the car. You just were able to walk. You're able to see. You're able to have children. When did you say thank you? Never. Grateful. Ungrateful, grateful. That's what Judaism is all about. Blessing, prayer. Thank you to God, Hallel, all these things. It's all about thank you and admitting. Thank you and admitting, that's the purpose of life. Many, many things about this. I want to finish with one thing and then I will open any question you want to ask. One last thing for tonight. You have to understand what's going on today. Today the Jewish nation, unfortunately, is in a very serious risk. Very serious risk. We see that the Ishmaelim, the Arabs, are tightening around us more and more in the last 20-25 years. It started with the agreement with Egypt, two-thirds of Israel went to the Egyptians. Now the Hamas took Gaza, we, we gave them all the land, all, we vacant all the Jews, the settlers from there. Now they're talking about giving the Golanites to the Syrians. The Torah says, the nation that lives among you will become stronger and stronger and you become weaker and weaker and you will shrink into your land and it will become smaller and smaller. It's a prophecy in Parashat Bechukotai, you can read. And that's because you are refused to listen to my laws. You bring it to yourself. That's what the Torah says. 
The Jewish nation today is in a very serious problem. Not only the Jewish nation, the whole world is in a serious problem. The Gemara says that before Mashiach comes, it's going to be such situation in the world that it will create such problems, inflation, economy problems, all kinds of things. This country is a very serious, a very serious crisis. History teaches us, if we search in history, that every time the Jews live in a non-Jewish country, and the Jews are always more successful than the rest of the population, always, it's always been like this because the Torah promised it, the Torah says you're going to be the shining star in every place I'm going to spread you. And everybody will see and look up to you and speak about you. That's a prophecy in the Torah. Rashi writes, everybody will point at you and talk about you. And that's what happens all the time. But there's a big, very big risk. Because when the non-Jews don't have what to eat, like today, they cannot pay even the gas to go to work. Most Americans became poor in the last five, six years. Don't look at 10 or 20% of the Americans that make a lot of money. All the middle class in this country becoming very poor and they're very frustrated. And history, every time the non-Jews did not do well, then, uh, God forbid, a holocaust came right away to the Jews. Pogroms, problems in Russia, in Europe, everywhere. Right now we're still safe here, we drive, we have nice houses, we wear nice clothes. Who knows what our children's going to have. We are in a serious problems, and also that, that we're becoming less and less. Intermarriage is a serious <coughs> problem. I had a lecture that I put in my website, and every time I hear about people that are about to get married to a non-Jewish woman, then we know another Jewish family is lost, because the children are not Jewish anymore. That's a cut from the descendants of this branch. I had a guy, a Cohen, in Florida. He lives in Florida, married a Sicilian-Italian woman. And they have a kid together. I have cases like this every day. Every day. I don't remember one day that I don't hear about things like this. I spend hours, hours of my day speaking to people. And Baruch Hashem with lots of success. But you know, one man cannot change the entire world alone. So I had a case that I'm convincing this Kohen to, that he cannot live with her. It's a, it's a tragedy for Jews to rebel against God. The Torah says, you are my children. Not because we are prejudiced against the Goyim. Don't get me wrong. No, we have to respect them, we cannot steal from them, we cannot be obnoxious to them. Everything is fine. But God did not give us permission to intermarry. It's not our choice. Said the Torah says you should not marry other nations. I don't allow it. And if you do it, it's a serious problem for the nation of Israel. And what happened? I let the guy watch the intermarriage lecture. And I told him, no, you're willing to come? Maybe you take a month off, you come to the yeshiva in Monsi. So he said, no, I don't want, but you know what happened? My wife, she watched the lecture with me. She's not Jewish. And she told me, Asaf, I cannot live with you anymore. I heard what your rabbi had to say. I don't want to go against God. The Goya, the non-Jew. I don't want to be a criminal. Please take the son, because according to the Jewish law, he's not Jewish. Convert him. And I, I love you. I appreciate you. A great husband. I'm not going to let you touch me one more time. He tells me, the guy. How powerful is this, the Torah, the Goya? You know how many Goyim contact me by email? If I show you the list of emails, we want to convert one Goy from Manhattan, Rivera his name. He's an intellectual Goy. He said, listen, my life just over now. So I, I was listening to all the lecture, learning so much Torah. I just heard that the Goy is not allowed to learn Torah. It's a gift that God gave to the Jews. And now I cannot learn anymore. And I was so happy learning hours every day. The guy, the guy doesn't want to learn Torah because he's afraid of God. And what we, the nation of God, the nation of the book are so ignorant. We never read the book of God once in our life. We know the size of every tire of every Mercedes, every Ferrari. I have guests coming to my house for Shabbat. The knowledge that they have in baseball and sport and politics, beautiful. No problem. It's no problem. You can be intellectual. You can know. What about Torah? Nothing. You read once in your life a page in the Torah? Nothing. The book of God is in your house? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And if yes, it's on a shelf, dusty for 30 years. It looks normal. It's not normal. So I encourage everyone here, read a little bit every day. Just the book of Dvarim, the fifth book. Begin to see what God wants from you as a Jew. I promise you, you're going to change. And it's not going to be painful. It's not bitter. 
It's not hard, it's not ugly. The Torah says. The Torah says, God said in the Torah, I'm sick and tired of your complaints. It's a sentence in the Torah. Orgatem et Hashem bedivrechem. I cannot hear this nonsense anymore. It says the Torah is right in your hand. It's not above the sky. It's not beyond the, the, the oceans. It's right in your hand and it's not difficult. That's what the Torah says. Who knows better? God or us? Who knows better what's the right way? We or him? The answer he knows. The Torah says after the actions follows the heart. Today, when we look in our society, in almost every Jewish community, there are so many singles, guys and girls, reaching already 40 years old with no success, cannot get married, because they have only one thing in their mind, financial success. It buried us. There are so many opportunities for great Jews to establish great homes together, because we don't even have 1% of faith in the Creator of the world that will feed us, this family is not good for us, this girl is not high class enough, she's not from our culture, she's not from our community, and I hear it and I'm, I, 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 thousands of times already. And our great people, they could have such great life, but the nonsense that they hear all the time from their environment, destroy them. Some of them will die single. Why? Because they did not want to marry a girl because she... I'm Ashkenaz. She's not Ashkenaz, I cannot. I'm Persian. She's not Persian, I cannot. Are you the creator of the world? You're going to decide who is your soulmate? And the day that God created you, the Gemara say your soulmate was created with you. If God doesn't want your wife to be Persian, you're going to tell him what to do? You ruin your life. If God wants her, fine. If he wants you to have an Hungarian girl, righteous girl, what's her sin? What's her sin? That she's Jewish from a different country? So many things. Ignorance. And that's why we pay the price. And you know what? Later on when the people wake up, some of the parents say, you know what? And they know inside their heart, I ruined my son's life. I ruined his life, but they never admit it. Because he had an opportunity to get married five times already. How many of our children are going to reach this age and not get married? In the time of the Torah, Age 40, people had grandchildren already, plenty. Today, people, I still don't have a house, Rabbi. I cannot get married. How am I going to get married? Where, where am I going to live? You rent a, an apartment. No, it cannot be. I didn't finish my learning. When I'll be 30, I'll, I'll think about it. How do you know? Maybe you miss your opportunity. There are so many things that can be done. Believe me, I'm telling you, I see it all the time. Why are we going to go blinded against God? Why? We're only going to lose. Any more questions before we finish? Yes. Vitamin K. Can you, can you talk to the Torah about vitamin K? Yes. Vitamin K. Vitamin K. Shh. Vitamin K. It's right here in front of you. The Torah says that every Jewish born, male born has to be circumcised in eight days. Now we know that we have in our body vitamin K that help to clog the blood, clogging every wound that we have in our body. It's very interesting. If you take five quarts of blood and put it inside a balloon and make a hole in a balloon, the blood will drip for two, three hours until everything will be on the ground. The, the blood will not clog the hole in a balloon that you just made. It will continue to drip for hours until there will not be any blood left. But when it comes to our body, if you get cut anywhere in the body and the blood begins to drip, after four or five minutes, somebody told this blood, you better close the hole before this person will die. So what happened? The blood dries out and clogs the hole completely. And the life of the person gets saved. Now, what creates this process? Vitamin K. Vitamin K in our body. Of course, in the time when the Torah was given, nobody even knew what vitamin K is. And the Torah promised that the Torah ordered us to circumcise our babies in the eight days. Everybody asked, why in the eight days? Let's do it in the 30th day. The baby is stronger. Let's do it after two months. What's the rush? Eight days is nothing. It's like a chicken, this kid. Give him a month. 
The Torah always know better. It just takes us sometimes 3,000 years to find out. The Torah says, in the eighth day, you have to circumcise every Jewish male born. Now, this is what the scientists have to say. In a, in a natural way, until eight days old, the liver begins to recuperate and becoming more and more mature and improve its activity. In the eighth day, there is enough level of vitamin K to clog the blood that the baby is able to pass the circumcision successfully. In a research that was made in New York in 1953, the scientists, which are not Jewish, they published that from zero to eight days, you have problems, it's not enough vitamin K to clog any cut that the baby may have. But in the eight days, some miracle begins to happen. The level of the vitamin K goes up tremendously. From the eight days until the rest of the person's life, he has 100% of vitamin K. But there is only one day in the life of the baby, one day, not two, one, that he gets extra 10%, 110% vitamin K only in the eight days of the life of the baby. One day from 70 years. Who knew it 3,000 years that there is one day in the life of every man that he has extra 10% vitamin K. Is it coincidence? Maybe, uh, maybe yes. I don't think so. Yeah, speaking about that, I once, uh, I think I spoke about it in, uh, in last week's lecture, that the Torah promised us that the Western world will never fall down. Even though there, were four, there are three other walls around the Holy Temple, and it was destroyed twice in history, and it was burned by the Greeks, and so many empires occupied Jerusalem and destroyed everything Jewish over there. Throughout history, God promised, I protect the Western Wall, it will never fall down. If the Western Wall are falling down, Judaism go down the tube with it. It's over. Who would take such a risk? Imagine I come to this house and I say, ladies and gentlemen, I have news for you. You see this wall? You can knock it down in five minutes. Take a hammer and break it all, all this shit rack. You can break this one and that wall in five minutes. But this wall, nobody can touch. Nobody can knock it down. Even though the bricks are standing with no cement. Why? The Torah say, because God swore, swore to the western wall, that it will never collapse, ever. Now, tell me please, for those who think the Torah is a man-made religion, or history book, who would take such a risk to write that the Western world will not fall down? And the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans came to destroy it. Nobody understand, they did not touch it. They knocked down the other three walls, somehow the Western Wall are still standing. When the Muslim came to build their mosque, they had a problem. The city was too low and the mountain was very high. The old people cannot climb. So they had two options. One is to shave the mountain, make it lower, and then to build the mosque that the older people can climb right away and get to the mosque. The other option was to elevate the entire area two levels up. What's more logical? To shave the mountain a little bit in a week or two of work or to elevate the entire floor of the entire city? What makes more sense? Of course, to shave the mountain. What did the Muslims did 1400 years ago? When you go on the next time to Jerusalem, you go under the Western Wall, they have a tour there, right? You're going to see arches and another floor and then more arches and another floor. What did they do? They built floors and they elevated the entire city to make it easier for the older people to climb to the mountain. How is it possible? Who confused them to do such a thing? Promise that God gave the Jews. This wall will never fall down. And you know what would happen? If the Muslim will try to shave some of the mountain, the lower they make the mountain, the lower they make the wall, because the wall is attached to the side of the mountain. 
So if you cut a piece from the mountain, you're 20% lower, 20% of the world goes down with it. If you make it 50% lower, half of the Western world will be destroyed. But God promised, it's a divine book, nobody can touch it. So what do you see? If you want to finish Judaism, if you're not interested to be a Shomer Shabbos, if you're not interested to quit and to divorce your non-Jewish wife or whatever your decision is, no problem. All you have to do is knock down the wall. And then you say, see, I wasted two and a half hours in Barzida's house family on this nonsense and the wall is now. But I encourage you, do everything you want. You know why? I'll be the first one who buy you McDonald's in Yom Kippur. Why? Because I don't want to grind water. Grinding water, 20 years you grind it, it's the same thing, water. We don't want to live in illusion. There are many people who like to close their eyes and ignore their situation in business, in marriage, in children education. Look at our children. Drugs, problems, no respect for the parents, nobody appreciates anything, they give you orders. You listen to me, I'm not going to listen to you. And so many other things that happen to us. Why? We live without Torah. Any more questions before it's over? Yes. Yeah. Everybody wants to kill you now. <laughs> All right. See the picture of the Noah's Ark on top of the turkey? On top of the mountains? You said you had it on your laptop? Yes. I have it in the lecture called Nevoot, Prophecy. Oh, I'll do it in five minutes. I have it. Remind me. I have it in the lecture. It's going to take me a minute to get it out from the list. All right. Well, who else? It's a picture from the Israeli newspaper, Yediot Achronot. It's a non-religious newspaper. They show Noah's Ark were found in archaeologists digging in Turkey, the mountain of Ararat. Any last question for tonight? Some challenge, arguments? Anyone is still thinking that the Torah is the word of a man and not the creator of the world? Please raise his hand. We'll start all over. <laughs> Any more? No, what do you say? What do you have to say? No, no, no. You don't doubt? Huh? A hundred percent? <laughs> you see what's on your chest? Yeah. Next thing it's beginning to shoot. <laughs> he says no doubt. What do you say? You have doubt? No, no, I'll get to him. I know that. Ah, t- whatever he say, you're going to say with him? No, no, no. Right, please, go ahead. You keep volunteering me. Uh, I still have doubts, yeah, I do yeah. You have to work on it. Yeah, no problem. So historians tell us that um, the wall had been reduced by two thirds, and that Saladin built the, the wall. Ordus, Ordus. All right, go ahead. Is that, is that true or not? Salah Hadin is the Muslims that built the mosque. When they the mosque, yeah. And I mean, fourteen hundred years ago, I mean, it's actually thirteen hundred and change. Now, you have to know that the original Western world starts much, much lower under the ground. Much lower. It's like maybe 40, 50 feet under at least. And the Western world, it's not the entire world. It's only up to a certain level. And from there, you see that the bricks are much, much, much smaller. Those bricks were added only a few hundred years ago to the wall to make it higher. But the entire original world is standing as it was originally from the time that it was there and, now, and until now. Now remember, to write such a thing, the risk is tremendous, especially when the other three walls were fell down already twice in history. Any more questions? Please take advantage now. Please. They told me to show you codes, codes in the Torah, but there's no time for that. But next time, maybe it was... There's t- Rambam, you want to see Rambam? Rambam, you saw it? Shh. Who heard about the codes in the Torah? R- raise his hand, please. Codes in the Torah. Do you mind giving me... Do you... Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Please, please. Here. Just for him. One more minute and, we, and it's going to be over. If you have to leave, you can leave. Please. Shh. No one is forced to stay. I'm not going to get offended. I know I went double than the time I planned. But, shh, here. Inside the Torah, we have thousands of thousands of codes hidden inside the text. Shh. 2,400 years before Rambam was born, God 
was putting inside his Torah information about this rabbi. What was so great about Rambam is the greatest posek in the last thousand years. The Shulchan Aruch of the Jewish nation is based on his book called Mishneh Torah. When we read in Parashat, Bo and Sefer Shmot, the Torah gives us indication about Maimonides. What does it say? His name is Moshe. He lives in Egypt, Mitzrayim. He was the hard doctor of the king of Egypt, Lev Paro. What was his nickname, Rambam? Resh, Mem, Bet, Mem. That's the only time in the entire Torah that you have four words in the right order. Resh, Mem, Bet, Mem. That's abbreviation of Rambam. But that's nothing compared to this. The Rambam wrote a book about the 613 laws. 613 mitzvot. How did he call his book? Mishneh Torah. When God gave us the Torah in Mount Sinai, he already gave us information about Rambam that will be born 2400 years later in history, in the future. How do we know? We take this letter mem, we count 50 letters, equal mathematical script, minimal. Mem, 50 letters shin, 50 letters nun, 50 letters hey. We got the word mishneh hidden in mathematical equal skip, what we call codes. If we take the taf, we count 50 letters, we get vav. We count 50 letters, we get resh. We count 50 letters, we get hey. Mishneh Torah. But we have a problem. Why from the word Mishneh to the word Torah we don't have a 50 even? 50, 50, 50. And here 50, 50 and 50. Why here it's so much more than 50? If you count how many letters we have between the Mishneh and the Torah, 613 letters. So now let's conclude. 2400 years before Rambam was born, God put in the Torah information about him, and that's one out of thousands. Yitzhak Rabin assassination is in the Torah in equal codes. The murderer, Igal Amir, have a mutual resh. One resh for both of them, to show you there's connection between them in equal skip. More than 30 words about the Holocaust, Hitler, Eichmann, Rudolf S., Zyklon B, the final solution, Auschwitz, Ghetto, 30 something words relates to the Holocaust are hidden in a Torah in equal skip in one page. And here, 2400 years before Rambam was born, the Torah told you it will be Moshe that lives in Egypt, that will be the doctor of the heart of the king of Egypt. His nickname will be Rambam. He will write a book called Bishneh Torah that will speak about 613 mitzvot. So a person can write such a thing. You know what it means. That you want or you don't want, it's over. Thank you very much. Names and numbers that we can be in touch with you. Brother, can I see the picture? Next lecture, Life After Life. Let me show you the picture. Everybody's... Uh... Please welcome to eat. On the side over here, we have a lot of food. Everybody, please eat.